But uh, we are privileged today to uh, have Nathan Raish come and speak to us, and I'm going to ask him to come onto the platform. He is our Word of Life missionary, as uh, you undoubtedly have uh, surmised, but he and Stephanie serve the Lord. She is here, and their three children are here as well. It's been a privilege to get to know him over the last few years, and looking forward to working with him continuing this fall. And I know that uh, he is serving the Lord hard, whether it's uh, the school year or the summer as well, and he's a terrific preacher as well. So no pressure, but come, come and minister to us. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. You know, since we had um, children, and we have three kids, uh, for those of you who are worried about maybe becoming parents, uh, some of you in this room are actually expecting right now, and I'm excited for you, but you're worried maybe that parenting is difficult. Well, I have three, and I don't even know where they are, so it's easy. I'm kidding. I, but, you know, I was thinking when we were singing, you know, we, had, we have three children, and um, it's been a wonderful thing. My, my wife, she was raised in a godly home, and I wasn't. And, I, you know, I came to the Lord as, as an adult, as a young adult. And, uh, you know, she'll come out with these children's choruses that she sings to the kids, and she teaches them, and I, sometimes even still. Correct me if I'm wrong. But she'll, she'll come up with a chorus, and I'll think, did you just make that up on the spot? And it's one that all of you probably in this room know, but it's one that's completely new to me. And uh, that's one thing that I'm really thankful for her, uh, for her guidance and her leadership in our family. And uh, God did that by no accident. But we were singing, as you were shouting to the Lord, and I was singing that song, I thought, that's, that's one of the very first songs that I learned as a new believer. And I still remember back then, knowing in the infancy stages of faith, what that song meant, and, and just over the years, watching God and His loving hand in my life and, and in yours as well. What a wonder and what a privilege it is to come together this morning and to worship the King of all kings. Amen? The Savior who saves even to the uttermost. Okay? God is great, greatly to be praised, and He is to be glorified and honored in this setting. If you're sitting here this morning and you think, you know, I'm really not sure... Uh, what he's talking about, and I, I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or maybe you know that you don't. Today needs to be the day that you settle that, and I would, I would be honored to show you from God's word what he says about the invitation to be a part of his family, to be free from the, from the bondage and the curse of sin, and to be embraced as a child of the creator of the universe. There's nothing like it. So what an honor to come together with you this morning to worship in song. And uh, what, what lovely singing and what lovely music. Thank you so much. Thank you also to the, the sound guys. I think they, they usually get a nod when something doesn't go right. But thank you very much for everything. Um, this morning we'll be in John chapter 1, uh, 21, excuse me, John chapter 21, the very last chapter of the book of John. And we'll get, we'll get, right, we'll get started right away. Perhaps some of you, if you're not a morning person, I by nature am, uh, but if you're not a morning person, maybe the fog is still lifting and you're thinking, who is this guy? Uh, like Greg says, my name is Nathan Raish. My wife, Stephanie, and I and our family, we serve as missionaries with an organization called Word of Life, and we are an international youth ministry, in effect, and our field of service as missionaries for us is the United States, specifically Michigan, and uh, if you want to talk about what God has done and what he's doing and what he's up to now. I would love to speak with you uh, after the service. Please just be sure to grab me and I'll, I would love to do that. 
John chapter 21. I'm going to start reading in verse 15. Verse 15 through 19. Uh, the setting here is Jesus is speaking on the beach. They had just had breakfast. Uh, the, remember, the, the story goes that the disciples had been fishing all night. Okay, Jesus had been brought to the cross, killed by wicked men, killed by decree of God himself. Uh, he, was, he died on the cross. He was buried for three days in the earth, and then he rose again. He raised himself up. Jesus says that no man can kill me. If I give up my life, I lay it down myself, and then I'll take it back up again. And he did that. He rose again. And by irrefutable proof, uh, he, was, he stood before his friends, before people that mocked him, didn't even believe in him. He stood before them all on display as the guy who conquered death as God. And uh, here he is on the beach after a frustrating night of fishing. Remember the story goes that the, um, some man on the beach called out to the disciples. They didn't know it was Jesus at the time. Called out to the disciples and said, have you caught anything? Of course, they said, no, we haven't caught one fish. He said, well, why don't you try casting the net on the other side of the boat, the right-hand side of the boat? If you've fished, you don't even have to have fished with a net. That sounds ridiculous. Okay, the fish over here are the fish over there. It's the same thing. Well, they cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and they bring in a haul that they can't even lift up into the boat. 153 fishes, the, the, the passage says. So they go out onto the shore. Jesus was already cooking some fish for them. They recognized then who it was. And uh, he had breakfast with them, and he's talking to Peter here. The interchange that we walk in on this morning uh, is a familiar one, perhaps, uh, but I'm excited to be here this morning uh, sharing with, with you this passage, and maybe the Lord would speak to us afresh this morning. That's been my prayer. Chapter 21, verse 15. Finally, when, he, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Remember their friends. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him, Jesus said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, the same thing, third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said to him, follow me. How do you measure success? I mean, as a, as a believer, as a child of God, how, how in your life do you see success? And how, how do you measure that? Is there really a measurement for something like that? Well, what is success anyway? I think, I think in, our, in our culture, and we'll get to this maybe a little bit later, but we, we, we've, we've muddied up a little bit what success is. Okay, And what we might even tell somebody else what success is may have very little to do with what God says it is. Okay, And uh, that's why one reason why I'm excited to be in this passage this morning. One way that you measure success, or really the ways that you measure success, might become clear to you by the things that you tell yourself. And you may not say these things out loud. I know I, I say things to myself, or I might even ask myself, myself questions uh, that I wouldn't really say out loud. 
But they really point to what I see as success in my life. And it shows how wrong I am sometimes in my thinking. I'm just going to pick on myself. Maybe you can identify with some of this. As a missionary, I might ask myself questions that are a little bit different than yours. Why am I not reaching more people? More children? More families? Why is my name more, not more well-known? I might ask myself, why wasn't I asked to go help with that event? Why is that missionary over there doing so much better than we are as a family? <laughs> These are the questions that sometimes I might be tempted to ask myself in my wrong thinking about this matter. How about you? What kind of questions do you ask yourself? I heard somebody complaining one time that they don't have more followers on social media. Why, why were his children not born with the challenges my children are born with? Why are her grandkids more well-behaved in public than mine? Why does her husband seem to love her more than mine loves me? Why haven't I been able to bring more people to faith in Jesus? In our culture, folks, numbers are king. It just seems to be the way that it is. And it's hard for us, even as biblically thinking people, people it's hard for us sometimes to, to sift through all that and to see that growth numerically is not necessarily a sh- the surest sign of success. Oh, but we think it is. Sometimes when pastors meet, you know, one of the questions that comes up, well, how many people are you running on a Sunday morning? Come on now. Numbers are seen as the surest evidence of God's grace, God's favor on us as, as believers, perhaps. But, you know, I think it gets a little tricky sometimes for us because we ask these questions, but sometimes our ambitions, they have, they have good motives, Okay, we want to reach more people. We, we, we kind of put a Christian paint job on some of our motivations. And we say, well, this is what I really, really want. This is what I really, really see as success in my life, that I can reach more people, that I can be more successful, that I can have a, a godlier family, that I can do this X, Y, and Z. Since my ambitions are so good-sounding, surely God has to honor this. God can't say no to my ambitions Sometimes he does. Sometimes in our life, it seems like he frequently does. He'll say no to the things, the desires of my heart in the flesh. Why would he say no to my idea of success? And do I really get to define what that is? These are questions that at some point or another, I pray it's this morning for all of us, some point or another, we're going to have to ask ourselves, uh, what this means. What is, what is success? God seems to say no frequently, and His Word helps us to begin to make sense of His decision to, the, to do so. Guys, I'm going to go ahead and try to use this clicker and see. Sometimes, there in the final scene of this gospel, uh, the resurrected Jesus, He's there on the beach, He's speaking to His baffled disciples, and in verse 15, He, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Of course, Peter says yes. I love you. And Jesus charges Peter with what will become his lifelong ministry. And what is that? Three words. Feed my sheep. 
Jesus was saying, feed my sheep. He wasn't a keeper of livestock, okay, during his earthly life here when he came to be born as a sinless baby. He never grew up, as far as we know, and kept literal sheep with wool, right? He, he was speaking of God's people. He was telling Peter as an apostle, as a disciple, to care for God's people, to nourish, to feed God's people, okay? That would become Peter's lifelong ministry. And he asks the question three times two more times he asks this and he charges peter each time to feed to care for his sheep and then i know we've read this so many different times i've i've read i don't know how many times i've read this passage or heard this story told right sometimes we read this and we think oh it's no big deal i've already known this been there done that but really if you read this like it's your first time the conversation takes a strange turn it pivots You know, he's talking in one instant, Jesus is, about Peter caring and and nourishing the sheep, right? And then, in an instant, the the conversation goes to uh, verse 18. He says, truly, truly, kind of a weird place to go, Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, and you used to walk wherever you wanted to. And when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this is said to show by what kind of manner of death he was to glorify God and after saying these things he said to him follow me imagine peter's confusion <laughs> peter i want you to get busy doing this and i'm just going to let you know you're going to die a horribly excruciating execution right if you know what a dichotomy is a dichotomy is something that happens when a whole unit of something a whole piece is split into exactly two parts that seem to disagree with each other. We have dichotomies all around us. We have a two-party political system, pretty much. There's oil and water. There's different things that seem uh, soul and spirit. There's things that seem to be split and sometimes agreeing or disagreeing with each other. Well, sometimes we see here a dichotomy. Peter, I want you to do this, but then Jesus, don't you understand that death on a cross is going to seriously inhibit Peter's ability to preach the gospel. I mean, come on. Peter is going to be killed. Doesn't that remove the possibility of doing what Jesus tells him to do? There's a dichotomy here, and I think it's a false one. I think sometimes we run the risk of thinking maybe like Peter was. I can't really put words in his mouth. I don't want to. But in a similar circumstance, we might, be, we might be tempted to think something like this. Living and working, and really, that's all I mean by ministry. I'm going to talk by, about your ministry. All that I mean by that is whatever it is that God has put your hand to. Whatever it is that, that God has equipped and commissioned you, and he's commissioned every one of us as believers, to do and to spend our life with. Because you are spending your life day by day moment by moment. What is that ministry? And doesn't suffering get in the way of that? I mean, God, you want me to do all these things. Surely, it seems like you have given me in Scripture a lot of, a lot of tasks and a wonderful life to be lived. Nothing can rain on that parade like suffering, we say. Nothing can cripple my ability to do God's work like suffering. I think we're wrong in thinking that. Jesus doesn't 
Jesus does much here to clarify Peter's thinking. Um, we think here in America, I think in a Western mindset, I think maybe sometimes we're tempted, even sometimes on a Sunday morning, not here, but we're tempted sometimes by, by people to think, if God loves me, he's going to bless me this way. If God's hand is evident in my life, I'm going to see success this way. That's the centerpiece of what's called prosperity preaching. But it hides inside even the most doctrinally sound Christian. If we mess this up, then we mess up so much in life. Thank God once again for His Word. I know mom and dad tell us things. I know the preacher on the radio tells us things. I know that we can pick up a devotional and read things. I know that we can sit there on our front porch with a cup of sweet tea and we can think certain things that are encouraging. But if it was not for God's word, we wouldn't know him. <laughs> this book, dark letters written on pages so long ago, every word inspired by the God who created us. If it were not for this very book, we wouldn't know him. Don't, please don't take that for granted. What is success? Hundreds are asking. I'm glad you are. What is success? How can we find joy when your labor for God seems fruitless? You ever feel like that? Sometimes it feels like, you know, in your life for Christ, you feel like a hamster on a wheel. It's all this busyness. You wake up one day and you're where you started. It doesn't seem like much has happened. How can we be enjoying success in God's eyes when it looks like that, maybe? Maybe it does for you. Maybe it doesn't. Here's what I'm asking you this morning. Here's the question that I would like for us to all answer together. Here's the question that I hope you don't mind, but I've been praying for you that we would all nail this down this morning. What is the right measuring stick to hold up to our lives and ministries? Hmm. Is it what the guy's doing down the street? Huh? How about that, uh, the popular singer? the popular pastor, the, the, the popular guru on parenting, the popular woodworker, whoever. Is it, is it them that gets to decide what success is? What is the standard? Where is the measuring stick for success in this life lived for Christ? God's Word gives us here this morning at least four truths. In this passage, at least four truths help us kind of sift through the murky waters of wrong thinking about true success. The first point that I would like for us to, to consider is that we need to trust God's plan. Uh, if you're like me, sometimes it seems like you're going through the day maybe without a plan. <laughs> How many of you like lists? You write lists in the morning. Maybe you're about to go somewhere. Some of you do. I do that sometimes, and then I find out it would have been helpful if I brought it with me. <laughs> and I'm sitting there at Meyer shopping around thinking, I sure would like to have that list that my wife wrote. Not much use in praying for divine revelation in that moment. But sometimes it seems like there's no plan. There is a plan. God has the plan hatched before all of eternity in his mind. He has a plan for, for you. Little old you, he's got a plan for you. What does that do to your heart? 
To me, that, that gives me a sense of joy that I just can't explain, that I am part of something bigger. Because if God wants to do something, he needs to choose somebody else and not me. We'll touch on that here a little less briefly than I just did. But trust the plan. When your hearts are blinded by a lack of success, there's that word again. The truth of God's sovereignty, that means he's in control over everything. The truth of God's sovereignty really should bring us a peace that cannot really adequately be explained. How about this? When we see that God's hand is behind the success and the struggling of our ministry. We all struggle and we all suffer for different reasons. Um, I'm going to use a strong word and I mean no offense by it, but John Wayne, he said, life is hard and it's harder when you're stupid. And I believe that. It is. It is sometimes. Sometimes we suffer at our own hand. Sometimes we, we suffer because we make wrong decisions and poor choices. That's so very frequently why I suffer. Sometimes, what if this, folks, what if I answer this question? What, what is that one thing, what is that one thing that got you up out of bed this morning? I know we're at church. I know it's tempting to give the Sunday school answer. Jesus, right? If it's not Jesus, maybe Moses. No. What is it? That one thing that got you out of bed. What is, it, what is that one thing that if, you, if, if it were to be threatened or taken away from you right now, that you would have no reason to go on in life? Hmm? That's your idol. That's your God. What is that one thing that if somebody were to come in and take that away from you, you would have no reason to live anymore? What do you pray for? <laughs> I mean, in the quietness of your own home, in your closet. What do you pray, what do you pray for and you ask God? What, what is that? How about, how about this? What have you been asking God for for 10 years, 15 years, 5 years, 20 years? And it seems like he's said no this whole time. Or maybe he's said not yet. Do you, would you assume with me, would you ask, at least ask yourself this? Could it be that God is sparing us from 10,000 heartaches? By not giving us that one thing that we say we can't live without. Hmm? By not giving us what our sinful heart desires. That's a great mercy to us sometimes. And I don't mean to minimize. I prayed for, for instance, I was the first one to come to Christ in a very big family. A godless family. I couldn't have explained to you what the Bible, I didn't even understand. When I got saved, I didn't know where Genesis was, folks. <laughs> okay, I didn't know. I didn't have any background in what it was to be even religious. As crazy as that might sound. But I prayed for my mom when I threw myself on Jesus to be saved. I said, you know what? If, if, if I can see my mom saved, if I can see her repent of her sins and come to Jesus for freedom then anybody in this world can be saved. I don't care who you are. If my mom can come to Christ, anybody can find grace in the Master's hand. And I prayed for her. And I prayed some more. And I wondered, God, why are you not answering? And that was like day number three. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to share the good news of Jesus with everybody and they're just going to come by the droves. Yes, they're going to say yes to God because then surely no greater news has ever been told, and that's the truth. 
And I prayed. I think I prayed for good night. It might have been eight years before she finally, the word of God was illuminated and she finally fell to her knees and cried out, dear Lord, would you please save me? Rescue me, a sinner who doesn't deserve grace and mercy. And she did. Amen to that. She's a believer, but you know, I prayed for a long time. What is it, that one thing that God seems to be saying no to you? Or maybe he's saying not yet. God does have a plan. He's working far beyond what you can see, think, ask, or imagine. Thank God sometimes it has nothing to do with you. (laughs) Secondly, we need to ache for God's glory. This is easy to say. It's even easy to throw out an amen to, perhaps. It's, it gets a little more difficult when it comes to the front page of my life. A.W. Tozer, a guy that some, if you're around me any length of time, I do like to quote him. He wrote a book, a great work. It's called The Pursuit of God. If you haven't read it, I would strongly encourage you to do so. He wrote, a, he wrote this quote. This is scary because I think it happens more often than, than we would like to admit it. Okay? How about this? In the world of, in the world of believers, on a Sunday morning, A.W. Tozer says that promoting self under the disguise of promoting Christ is currently so common so as to excite little notice. Let me rephrase that. We come in here, some of us, and we might promote ourselves And we do so, so much, so frequently, that even in the the Christian circles, and I, I use that word pretty loosely, Christian, can mean almost anything these days. But even in our circles, we promote self so frequently that it that it really excites little notice. Barely people barely even realize it. Well, why am I doing what I'm doing this morning? Why am I here? Why are you why are you here this morning? Well, because somebody might think, well, Nathan, he's, he's a pretty cool guy. Nathan, he's kind of witty. They're not going to think that. Man, Nathan, this or that, he's kind of a special dude. He's, he works with an exciting ministry. Why, why am I promoting myself when I should be promoting Jesus Christ? That is a convicting question. I would like to say that I don't promote self. I think before the Holy Spirit of God, I would have to admit otherwise that's the struggle right man mike look kids we're walking into calvary bible church of lapeer and as far as anybody knows we're a normal family so behave yourselves and if they don't the first whine and the first cry the first i'm hungry or i'm tired and i get embarrassed because all of a sudden i feel less than as a parent and my pride is hurt there it is again promoting myself right this, this selfish ambition right here, I, I, I'm not forgetting who I'm talking to. You guys are busy about God's work. I know that. Some of you spend most of your hours of a day that you're not sleeping and you're doing something for Jesus. I understand that. And still, this point is for you. Okay? We are so busy. We're doing so many different things. That this kind of a thought right here, this really rubs us the wrong way because it kicks against everything that might be small. Hmm? You say, well, God, God hasn't really equipped me with very many strengths. I'm, I'm kind of an average Joe. 
All I do is pray. All you do is pray. We've made a mistake in the church today in making people think that if, you, if you're praying, you're really at your Alamo. That's the last resort. If you can't do anything else, then you need to be praying. We ought to be praying first. We ought to be praying during, and we ought to be praying afterward. Praying ought to be the occupation. You say, I'm a plumber. I'm an architect. I'm a nurse. You ought to be a prayer. Okay? That ought to be the very job of everybody in this room. I'm... So I, sometimes I worry about offending people if I say something a little too direct, but I'm a guest. I can smack and run. I'm fine. <laughs> no, I, I don't mean to offend anybody. I just want, as your, as your brother in Christ, I really do love you enough to say that, that that ought to be us. We ought to be knowing, we ought to be known as a house of prayer, right? In this county, it, it ought to be known that those people over there at Calvary, they're people of prayer, they seek God's face. How dare we be known for almost anything else? How do you change? How do you change that? How do you fix that? You don't do it tomorrow. But we fight against anything that doesn't measure up to a fairy tale. You say, you know, I met this guy at school and he's pretty special. I've been spending time with him. You know, we text back and forth and it's kind of sweet. One month later, it's like he forgot my name. You know, nothing, no, no prince on a white horse. You know, where's this fairy tale that I dreamed it would be? And we think that way in the Christian life. Why am I not standing on some mountaintop seeing people line up to find, to find Christ? Huh? Why am I not turning yet? I believe God can do this, but why, why is missionaries with word of life? Why, why are we not turning Michigan upside down for him? See, we have this conception in our mind that if anything is less than a fairy tale, then something's wrong. God's not really giving me what I desire. We'll get to the remedy for that here in just a moment as we consider um, this. Stay in your lane. It's the, yeah, there we go. What do I mean by that? After, after prophesying Peter's death, don't lose the sting of that. Peter's sitting there. He just finished breakfast on a beautiful day. Jesus, why do you have to talk about dying? I thought we were done with that. After prophesying Jesus, or Peter's death, Peter tells him to follow me. Maybe you never realized this in this passage. I actually just did for the first time a couple years ago. I never realized this until reading it again and again. That Peter did this. What, what does Peter do when Jesus asks him, to feed my sheep for the third time. Peter, you just answered the same question three times. You'd think you would realize what it is you're saying. Let's not be too hard on Peter. But he says this. Peter turns around uh, there in verse 21, and he looks toward the apostle John, and he says, Lord, what about this guy? <laughs> okay? I, I tell, I, I've told somebody this before, and I'm, I, my wife knows this. I think she would agree with this. She's nice. She's too nice to nod her head or say amen at this. But you know what the golden touch is? You know? So you, you say somebody just has the golden touch, right? The guy, I remember, I remember playing football with this guy who was a cornerback, really small guy in high school. And he, he, one day he goes, I think I'm going to try out for track. And he did pole vault, and he absolutely crushed it. He did well. He, did, he does well at everything. He had the golden touch. 
Stephanie, my wife, has the golden touch. You don't want to invite her to play Uno. You don't want to invite her to play Go Fish or anything, Cornhole. You don't want to invite her to do any games at your house because she's going to beat everybody there. It's just the way it is. So whatever the opposite of that is, that's what I have. <laughs> I'm not kidding either. Let, okay, Nathan, let's, uh, let's try kayaking, and I almost kill myself, right, in two feet of water. There's... there's, there's Whatever the opposite of the golden touch is, it seems like that's what I have. And you say, well, Nathan, that's ridiculous, and maybe in life, but now you're a believer, you ought to have licked that problem a long time ago. It still creeps up. Nathan, maybe you ought to try teaching this class. No, Lord, you know better. That's not me. And maybe it's not. Maybe you're not, not every person has every gift. But I do believe that I have a burden for teaching at least. And the gift, maybe God is building that in me, but that's how it started. Lord, I can't do that. (laughs) There's no way. You're picking the wrong guy for this. And that's what it is almost at every turn for people like me. And maybe you're like that too. If God wants to reach in the box of tools for something, man, he grabbed the wrong guy by grabbing me. So he's going to have to look to somebody else if he wants this thing done right. That's actually how I feel sometimes. That's how Peter, that's apparently how Peter felt. He said, have you considered, Jesus, have you considered this guy, John? Hmm. So you're telling me with the command to follow Jesus, Peter tells a story. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, he, 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 said, he said this about comparison. He said, comparison is a thief of joy. Do you ever compare yourself to other believers? (laughs) Yeah, I think we do. I I do. And if you don't, then pray that you you don't fall into that temptation, that trap of comparing yourself to somebody else. Why does it matter so much if we're doing just a little bit better than somebody else? Huh? It's like those two guys in India. They're running through the jungle, and they really want the full experience, so they're going through there with no shoes on. Right? Good idea. Feel the earth beneath your feet. They're walking around, and all of a sudden, one of the guys, his heart leaps up into his throat because he sees a tiger in the bush. So they start running. They take off, these two friends. They're going through the jungle. Tigers are pretty quick. So the tiger is gaining on these guys, and one guy all of a sudden stops. His friend's looking back. What are you doing? He goes, I'm putting my shoes on. He goes, we don't have time for that. Don't put your shoes on. Well, do you really think that your shoes are going to help you be faster than the tiger? And he goes, no, I just need to be faster than you. And we trick ourselves into thinking that as long as, I'm, as long as I'm just doing a little bit better than she is, I'm doing pretty good and I'm pretty impressive in this body of believers. I mean, I know we don't have stars around here, but I'm looking pretty good because I'm comparing myself to somebody else. Or maybe you're comparing yourself to somebody and you look pretty awful and you don't know if you've got what it takes to honor God with your life. I'm going to take a big gamble because I stand on the authority of God when I say this, that God has prepared works for you, Ephesians 2, before you were ever born that you should walk in them. He has something for you. Don't ever believe any of the lies that people are telling you today that you can't be used by God. If you belong to Him, and if you have blood in your veins, then you can do what God asks you to do. He's not done. He's not finished. I understand, back to our point here, I understand what people mean when they say, well, I I better be paying attention to, like Peter, he's paying attention to John. 
He's just being considerate. No, he's not. We as believers need to be paying attention to our brother and sister. What's going on? How, I can, how can I pray for you? How can I, uh, the book of Galatians says, you know, I, I ought to be bearing up under your load, helping you out. And I understand that. We better be abreast with these current issues in each other's lives. I get that. Sometimes there's a time to mind your own business. Okay? Sometimes, like Peter, stay in your lane. I'm talking to you, Peter. I'm not talking to John right now. God has given us tasks. He has handpicked you. You can't do what He's given you to do to a lesser degree than anybody else. We're too busy comparing ourselves to other people. And we leave the front door to contentment wide open. With the command to follow Him, Jesus is calling us to mind our own business, to stay in our own lane, and to fix our gaze on Him, the author and finisher of our faith. When you die at the end of all this thing, God says that in His Word that you'll not be judged by your sin. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But there will be a judgment of sorts. There will be a sifting through all that we've done for Christ. And a lot of those things were done for Nathan. And that's going to be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble, the Bible says. But some of those things were done for the glory of God. Right? And he's going to get the glory for all of it. But there at the, at the Bema seat, the Bible calls it the, the, the seat, the award seat for the believers, you're not going to call mommy and daddy as witnesses. Your pastor is not going to come and sit next to you and say, Nathan, you did a good job at this. It's going to be you and Jesus. Keep your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. Fourth and finally, and quickly, die to yourself. In that final conversation between Christ and Peter, the author slips in this one phrase that I think unlocks any kind of mystery in this passage. It really tells us more about this topic than we think maybe at face value when he says in verse 19, this he said, okay, the bad news about Jesus, Peter's death, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Man, many of us stumble so hard over the word death that we don't really see the rest of it. Death is something that God has taken, and if I can say in the truest sense of the word, he has exploited that. He has used it, and he uses it still for his purposes in a way only the creator of life can. But that's not how it works in our world, right? The, the, the acclaim and the accolades and the riches, they go to the chart toppers. They go to the Fortune 500. They go to the most successful I know he who dies with the most toys still dies, but at least he, see, we, we seem to think that he has, really has it all. Not so in the life of the believer. The believer can die honorably at the end of this race. When Christ hung on the tree at Golgotha, his followers saw it as the termination of any possibility of a kingdom. Any possibility of anything good, well, there goes that. Our Savior's dead. When actually, it was the greatest victory that could have ever been won. Ever. And that's one thing I like about the, the mind of God. He turns our thinking on its head. And we think so backwards how necessary it is to, 
to let our minds be molded and shaped and transformed by the things that God says. So let him do that today. What is your measuring stick for success? It's this. It's this. I hope you're listening. Follow Jesus wherever he leads, even if he leads to death. Am I doing that? In the end, the most modest of ministries, the most modest of ministries done in obscurity will prove to make the master look glorious. It may not be the front row thing. It may not be the thing that gets everybody's attention, but what are you doing for Christ? Hmm? That life that he's given you to live, are you living it to the fullest? I'll close with this quote before I pray. One of my all-time favorite quotes, again, I go back to that guy Tozer. Outside of the Bible, one of my favorite quotes, and he says this. It's in one of his prayers that he wrote down, and uh, I think it's pretty insightful. This was his prayer for himself. He said to God, he said, Be thou exalted over my reputation. Make me ambitious to please you, even if, as a result, I must fall into obscurity and my name be forgotten as a dream. Let's pray. Would you pray with me, please? Our God and our Father, I pray that... um, You know, even if everything is forgotten today about our time together in your word, that the truth of Scripture would not be. Lord, I thank you for the fact that, yes, you do have a plan. Lord, that whatever it is you have given us to do, uh, that we would do it wholeheartedly to the glory of the one who sent us. And Lord, would you minister to the hearts in this room, hearts of the hurting people walking into here with struggles that maybe nobody else understands. I pray, Lord, that their focus would be turned to you. I pray, Lord, that same thing for all of us, for the believer of many years to the one who does not have a relationship with you, that right now our attention would be turned to you and our need, our desperate need for a Savior. The gospel is not just for those who are outside of Christ. The gospel is the very lifeblood of those who have been brought into the family of God. And we thank you for the truth of what Jesus has done to rescue and ransom sinners that were bound for hell, that they can be transferred into a family um, fathered by you. We are, we are your workmanship created in your image. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. I pray that we would consider its truths and by your spirit and the power that he has that we would apply these things to our life and walk in obedience, ever worshiping and praising you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.